If you like this podcast, check out Studio Red's amazing lineup of podcasts at StudioRedMedia.com. Welcome to QT with RT. I'm Ryan. I'm Todd. Today we're talking about finding your voice. Just like Ariel, today we're going to find our voice. Ah. You like that? You're going to be where the people are? I'm going to be where the people are. I'm going to walk where the people walk. Uh Uh-huh. See them dancing. Uh Uh-huh. See them. Did she find her voice or she gave away her voice? Well, technically she gave away her voice, but then she did find it again. True, true, true. It came back. She snatched it. But yeah, she didn't lose it. She gave it away. Yeah. We're not going to give away her voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a very common saying that is... You hear all the time on mm-hmm. podcasts, YouTube videos, Vimeo videos, people at Q&As at film festivals, interviews with directors, how writers. To's. How to's. Yep, exactly. Is people constantly saying, uh, you have to like, you find your voice or like use your voice, like find your, bring your voice to the project, you know, direct projects, make movies, write scripts, write books, what, whatever you create, make sure you use your voice, use your voice, use your right. voice. Um, and that was always something to me that was very confusing mm. when uh, I was going through college because I was like, what does that even mean? Yeah. You know, because um, it seems like something really, really deep and philosophical um, when in reality, what I feel like I've, come to is that it's actually very, very practical. Yeah. Um, and so I was listening to a podcast, Script Notes. Script Notes. Uh, which has the writer, showrunner of Chernobyl in it, mm. Craig Mazin. And somebody wrote in asking him that question, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said because I can't remember it exactly. Mm-hmm. But it was just like a perfect way of saying it, which was basically he was like, you know, he's like people always a lot of times associate you know, speaking from your voice or your perspective as though it means that, uh, you know, as white men, we can't make a movie about a teen rom-com that's main character is a girl because mm-hmm. we were never teenage girls. And he's like, I think he's like, that's, that's wrong. He's like, that's not what that means by saying like, bring your perspective or speak from your, your voice, your point of view. He's like, you know, stories are all stories. And if you're a good storyteller, you can tell a story about anyone. Yeah. doesn't matter if you are like identify with that person in real life or not. The character, you and the main character do not have to be the same person. Often that is like the outcry on diversity is that they're like, well, you could have written this and had it as a girl or had it as. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what. um, But then there's also the outcry of. Right. We need to allow people that are of that type to tell those stories, which we're not going to get into the politics of that. You don't want to? No. Uh, nor do I yeah. 100% disagree with them or 100% agree with them, but I do disagree with them on the fact that uh, this idea that yeah. speaking from your voice from your perspective means that you can only, that you and I can only tell white, straight, male stories. Right. That's not true at all. Yeah, that's boring. Um, and it takes away like what is fun about being a creative person. Like the last thing creative people want is to be put inside a box. Right. Um, and so he was like, somebody wrote a question asking kind of about that. And he's like, that's not at all what it means in his opinion. He's like, instead, he's like, what you need to do is identify the part of the story that you are fired up about, that you love, that you like, that compels you and drives you and brings like your emotions up the most and tell that part of that story. 
Um, and basically, you know, he's like, in the simplest way, don't write or don't create something the way that they want it made. Yeah. Write it the way you want it made. Yeah. Um, and when he said it that way, it was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. So basically, bring my likes and dislikes, my tastes, and even my world philosophies and my world views and the things that make me pause emotionally or or mentally or or draw me in or you know when everybody looks at something they all see something different kind of thing yeah bring the part of it that you see mm-hmm. in that painting or that picture you know it's like you know if if you if you're writing a story about two friends going on a journey together there's some aspect for me that friendship brings to my life that might be different than what yeah. how you associate friendship yeah. in your life you know it's like all of us have different connections with all these multitude of facets of life um you know you're a foodie mm-hmm. i would take a pill yeah that gave me my my supplements for the Making day me mad. <laughs> and i'd be fine so it's like but that that element of like then if i go and make something i should not go make chef's table Right. Or if I do, I need to bring in my perspective as being somebody who's not a foodie and could yeah. care less. And yet this food is still so great and so interesting or there's more to it than just the food. Yeah. There's something else about it. The science, the technical. Yeah. Or yeah. the relationship of the chef mm-hmm. with the food or what yeah. it means to them in their life. I mean, I've watched some of the chef's tables and have really liked some of them. Yeah. Because it's more than just the food yeah. in some of those episodes. And yeah. those are the ones I like. Yeah. Um. Or even like one of my favorite Chef's Tables ones, you know, it's a good example just because of how much I'm just like, meh, about Chef's Tables and you loves it, love it, loves it, he loves it. it. I loves it. Uh, Is the one with the baker. Christina, uh, she's from New York. And she talks about baking with her grandma and her mom and like growing up eating all these sweets with her, her mom and grandma. Well, that was exactly the same way it was with my mom. Yeah. And grandma, when they would come, that's what we would do. We would bake. Yeah. My mom like stress bakes. She's even originally from like the Midwest. Yeah, she yeah, 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 exactly. She's I think from like Indiana. It was like Iowa or something. Yeah. You know, my mom's from Michigan. Mm-hmm. I was born in Ohio. So it's like, yeah, even that like similar connection of like the same kind of even food. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that she's like, What's the point of of sweets if they're not like overly sugary? Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to make healthy cookies. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole point of a cookie. Yeah. You know, and then almost like every day deserves a cookie. You know, like, this is just that mentality, like, so embodies, like, my mom and her mom yeah. and my grandma. Uh, that, like, I really like that because I, I connected with it in that way. And I think that's what it means when it says to find your voice. Yeah. Is, like, what, what not so much, like, what do you bring to the table and all that kind of stuff? Because then it makes it feel like you have to, like, reach somewhere outside of yourself to find that thing almost. Or you have to bring, like, a tool set with you where it's, like, it's not really that. It's more just, like, what what do you – if you could make a movie that you absolutely loved, what would it be? Yeah. And that's that's your voice. That's yeah. your vision. That's your perspective. You know, what what about – marriage or love or friendship or hard work or determination or perseverance or whatever the theme of your movie is, what is your relationship with that thing Yeah, that you can then show to the world and highlight in your movie that's going to be totally different if somebody else went and made it because their relationship with perseverance or love or friendship is different. Yeah, Even if it's just like a slight difference, mm-hmm. it's enough that in a full hour and a half movie or a 
200, 400 page book, you're going to like see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a good example is if you took a genre and you had five different directors do that exact same storyline, you know, let's say marriage story, like each director would have a different movie essentially come out of the same plot of marriage story, husband and wife, they're getting divorced. What's that story look like? Because they've all had different experiences. They all have, yeah, they have a different understanding going, going into it. They have a different voice. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you look at some of the movies that they've rebooted, like um, um, Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Like, even though it's the exact same storyline for the most part, like, it's different in each one because of the relationship of the people involved in making it. Yeah. Obviously, in a big Hollywood movie like that, it's not just one person's taste and perspective. It's the studio executives, the actors, the producers, and all that. But still, all those people are going to put their their kind of their voice into a melting pot yeah. and out comes the movie. Yeah. Um, in that movie, actually, the newest one, I love the line that um, uh, the old cowboy, what is his name? Sam. Uh, Bradley Cooper, or no. his brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sam something, right? The older brother. You yeah, guys I'm all blanking. know. Yeah. The one from... Uh, Tombstone. Talks were low. Yeah. Uh, After Bradley Cooper, spoiler alert, commits suicide, uh, he's talking to Lady Gaga, and he tells her that one of his brothers, Bradley Cooper's favorite things to say was that there's 12 notes on the piano, and then they repeat themselves. Yeah. And every musician uses the same 12 notes, and that basically there's no new story or song under the sun the same story told over and over and over again and the only thing that you as an artist can bring to it is your version of those 12 notes and i think that's kind of like really like the best way to sort of think about like your voice as far as like whatever story you're you're telling somebody's already told it yeah so the only thing that you can bring to it is your connection with that story yeah um and which is why if you then go and make a story for the audience or you make it for the executives or you make it a certain way because out of fear or pride or whatever, if you're not like honest with yourself and connect with what you really desire, you end up losing the most powerful thing you have available to you, which is your voice. Exactly. Because you're trying to make it off of somebody else's voice, but you don't know their voice Yeah. because that voice isn't living inside your head all day yeah. long. A good example would be uh, the difference between the original Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy. You know, I think the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, that is Peter Jackson's voice. Um, the Hobbit, the groundwork was Benice Del Toro. Yeah. Um, and so then Peter Jackson came on and it was, it, it was confusing because – you have yeah, so many merging voices and, and ideas coming together. Yep. And it just wasn't executed well. And it, there at the end, Peter Jackson was like non existent in the last film. Yeah. Because so, he was dying. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, especially with a lot of short films and um, independent stuff where people are still kind of like starting out and like trying to find their voice, mm-hmm. that whole thing. I think really finding your voice is really more of a matter of. Um, a like really discovering like what your relationship with the story really is like yeah. doing the ho- heart the homework of sitting there and processing how do I really feel about the truths that I'm trying to uh, um, share with the world through this story yeah um, but I think the other part of it a big part of it is learning to um, 
be obnoxious about your voice. Yeah. You know, be obnoxious about the movie that you want to make. Because because filmmaking is so collaborative, um, and it's also technically hard. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to kind of lose yourself in what you're like lose. What was the point of what I'm doing? You yeah. know, like we're almost like in writing a paper, or a book. Like, what's the point of this? Yeah. You know, I'm on page 100, and I don't even remember what this story is about anymore. So it's like both the like craft part of it. It's easy to just get lost in all the details of what you're making yeah. that you forget what you're even trying to make. But then on a, the collaborative side, everybody and their brother wants to make it their way. Yeah. And although that's great for the DP to have a style and bring their voice or the art director or the actors, definitely um, like the story still has to come from the director or the screenwriter, whoever is that main storyteller. Yeah. Um, And I feel like that probably when you see a lot of stuff that just feels kind of bland, it's because, you know, almost like cooking uh, I keep using all these cooking references, even though I would eat a pill for my lunch. But, uh, you know, if like I love lemon pepper as a seasoning. Yeah. I put it on everything. But if all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm not sure everybody at the table likes lemon pepper. I'm not sure everybody likes salt. I'm not sure everybody likes pepper. I'm not ever sure everybody likes Cajun. I'm not sure, you know, and all of a sudden then I just don't put any spices in it. Yeah. Because I'm so worried that somebody, I'm worried about everybody else's tastes and dislikes. Yeah. That I don't make something that I like the taste of. Then instead of somebody saying, this is a really good version of lemon pepper chicken, yeah, but I don't like lemon pepper. Yeah. Instead, it's just a bland chicken that nobody likes. Yeah. And I feel like that's what you see in a lot of like early people's stuff. And the stuff that really stands out is something that like, you know, you look at like uh, Whiplash. Mm, yeah. Or even La La Land, like Damien Chazelle brings his perspective on life. Yeah. His connection with his version of Perseverance by whiplash, it seems as though he believes that going to absurd, you're crazy man, yeah. what's wrong with you, levels yeah. of obsession is what it takes to become great. That's his moral story. Of, yeah. You know, and so it's like that seems that, like you would think then that that is his personal belief. Yeah. Um, obviously, La La Land has another similar belief on love and relationships. And so it's like, but if those weren't in there so strongly, whether you like them or dislike them, whether you argue about it after the movie's over, it's like, if that wasn't there though, it'd just be like another movie. Yeah. You know, be another Hallmark special. Yeah. Yeah. The the dangerous thing sometimes with uh, your voice, having your voice and you kind of stick in, I think a good example, two good examples would definitely be Quentin Tarantino movies and Wes Anderson movies. Those are two movies that, like, when you look at them, you can hear the director speaking yeah. <laughs> more than any other movie. And um, and it's it's good because if you're a fan of those, I mean, you are 100% on yeah. board. You're going to love them. You're great. If you're not, you're done. You're yeah. checked out. So uh, it... it I think it's kind of yeah, choosing your battles. Choose the the great the great directors when they are good. I think are very true to their voice. Like Spielberg is a good example of like kind of like when he is really really honed into what he wants to say. It is immaculate, you know, cinema. Yeah. Uh, but when he is just kind of like ah, eh, then you get the BFG, you get Warhorse yeah. and all that. Maybe he was. On board for Warhorse, I don't know because that was more of like a serious movie. 
But I mean, you have that compared to like Lincoln or Schindler's List yeah. or Same Saving Private Ryan. Ryan. I mean, it's just yeah, a different world. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, you know, and I think, uh, I don't, I, I, I would say too that like I think, big picture, you want to stay true to your voice. Yeah, um, and the story telling needs to stay true to your voice as far as like every shot you know or every movement that the actor makes i mean some people can get so nitty-gritty like we also have to realize that like we always can improve and be better yeah so there's always a lot of great suggestions that that's the that's the plus side of collaboration is that everybody around you might have some good ideas and if you pull everybody's good ideas you have an even better movie yeah um and especially with working with actors as far as the story goes and the and the dp and um art director to some degree, definitely the screenwriter if you're not the one writing it. I mean, you know, those people are very involved with the overall mechanics yeah. of the story. So you definitely want to, like, if they're like, hey, what if instead of me sitting here quietly while this person talks, I get up and pace? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that kind of help? Like, if if that idea, like, fits in with, like, yeah, that is totally how I feel, like, is right for my connection with this story, then yeah. But... um but even though you mentioned those guys as like examples of like if people don't like them, they've also had crazy good careers. Yeah, they live in very big houses. Yeah, they've you know they're they're Hollywood elites. Yeah, um, they've had great commercial. I mean, yeah. like you know they've gone out they've gotten paid a lot of money to make commercials. So it's like they've had a very successful career yeah. because they've defined very strongly like these are the kind of movies. This is how I connect. Yeah. With these stories, this is my relationship with the world. This is my worldview, my perspective. Yeah, um, you know, and it's like they don't, they don't steer away from that. Yeah, which is what made them who they are. And, yeah. and both those guys came through Sundance, the independent route. So where a lot of other dead filmmakers, dead dead careers lie on the wayside, they actually made it through and are making Hollywood movies yeah. with Hollywood stars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to look at. He's Quentin Tarantino. He said in one of his interviews, I listened to a podcast, and he does like specifically go through every shot that's in the movie. He said he meticulously like worked through and made himself. Like he made the shot list. He made the yeah. He knew exactly what he wanted. And I'm sure Wes Anderson does too, just because it's yeah. all so like yeah symmetrical exactly. and designed. Yeah. And I'm not saying like if that's what you want to do. I'm not saying it's a bad yeah. thing. No, and I'm not either. I think I think that's the thing is I think a lot of times people can kind of um, roll their eyes a little bit. No matter how successful they are, they're kind of like Quentin Tarantino is is a genre, of, you know, almost a, with himself. Yeah. Or, um, so it's Wes Anderson. Um, but then you have people like, I guess. Um, Tony Scott is an interesting director because, like, he. You mean um, Tony Scott's dead? I know. Oh, I was talking about okay. Tony Scott, his movies and stuff yeah. like that. Whereas, like, his movies could range from like Man on Fire, that has like a very distinct look and style, to like Top Gun. Yeah. Very crisp, clean. I got a Need for Speed. Um, well, and I I don't think that like to a certain degree like having like a style that sort of becomes what you're known for right. is a little different than I think even the brand thing again, yeah. because style is more just like, Hey, this is sort of my way of doing it. And this is what I do yeah. on a regular basis. But you might go outside of that, which is totally fine. Yeah. Like once again, well, and, we that's, don't... and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think Tony ever had his voice, you know, like I, I think he, he tried to, but I feel like he got kind of lost along the way in the world of, 
studios and maybe trying, obviously, maybe a little bit being in the shell of his brother and stuff like that. Yeah, and obviously had some mental disorders. Yeah, exactly. And so, I, you know, there's directors who can be great that don't necessarily always have a voice. But I think the ones that kind of stand out at this time, because like a lot of people talk about Quentin Tarantino, you know, obviously he got his start because of uh, Tony. Tony bought his script, True Romance. Um, he originally wanted to do Reservoir, Reservoir Dog because he had read uh, Tarantino's script for that. And he's like, I want to do that. And it's like, well, Tarantino's going to direct this. And so he's like, anything else he has? True Romance. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. And so, you know, he was excited about making something different. But I don't know if Tony Scott ever had, obviously, a script of himself or, you know, so he's bringing his vision. Yeah. I guess that's his voice. Um, yeah. And well, that's what I'm saying. I guess, like, I think you're steering into a distinction that is like two different things. Yeah. So there's people who are like very stylistic mm-hmm. who are like known for certain things. Yeah. Um, but I think any story that you tell or any project that you're working on, whether it's, um, you know, a commercial or a mini documentary or, uh, you know, interview or, or, you know, it doesn't even have to be something huge just as a creative person. Um, I think when people are like, you know, when they talk about your voice, I think it's more like your connection with that project and like staying true to what draws you to it and what brings your feelings to it and your emotions to it. And so it it might be a movie that's completely outside your wheelhouse. Maybe you've always made action movies and all of a sudden you're making a drama about a divorce, but it's like, if you approach what it if you approach that that story of a of a relationship being broken apart and torn apart and the casualties that come from it if you approach that with your personal perspective on what it means to love and lose love mm-hmm. and the the feelings and emotions that you connect with with that that's going to be different than if somebody else went and told the story yeah. even two brothers um you know, it's like if one brother went and told it and another one brother went and told it, it still would be a two different movies because each of them has their own relationship with those those feelings yeah. and emotions and truths. You know, I mean, especially like a story like divorce. If I was going to write a story about divorce, I would write it to where it's a tragedy. Mm. Other people who have had a divorce and felt like that's what they needed to do with their life might write it as like this was an, a freedom or an unescapable necessity. Mm you know so i mean i think i think that's what i mean and like each person kind of brings their voice whether or not it's like in the style of your normal filmmaking not every director is going to have like this hardcore style yeah um but as far as like i think to make a movie good or tell it or just a story or any creative content good like i think when people say bring your voice i think that's what they mean you know your perspective is is the parts of the story or the thing that you're making that you identify with the richest in the richest way that other people might not. Yeah. Whether it's a song or a painting or a book or a poem, um, you know, so I think that's kind of, you know, even like if you look at your writing, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you might be talking about different topics, but you're writing it from your own personal kind of perspective and journey yeah. and what, yeah. what is like truth to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I don't think there's really any other way. Because, I mean, when you write something that's not true to you, I mean, it it is the most fake thing in the world. Like, you look at it and you're just disgusted by it. You know, like, I, your true voice, your true internal monologue that you're 
wrestling with ideas and stuff like that. Yeah, that's got to come out and it's got to be true and honest as 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 much as you're able to communicate. Because I, I mean, it takes years to understand yourself. I think emotionally on a real level, like I think, um, and by the more you understand yourself, the more you understand your thoughts and what you're trying to communicate, the clearer your voice is going to be and the more effective of a storyteller you're going to be. And so I think, you know, some of the best storytellers out there are the ones who know. Know exactly. themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Know themselves, know the voice. So. Yeah. And, I mean, and taste is like another thing that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. And I feel like that's kind of like another like sort of sort of element that's kind of similar to this, but I think is still kind of a little bit different still than what I'm kind of talking about and what I feel like a lot of people talk about because it's like taste is something that we all share yeah. or can share. Oh, I like that too, you know? Um, but as far as like your unique perspective and what you can bring to a story that nobody else can, that's something that like genuinely is just you. Yeah. And nobody else could duplicate that because nobody else has had your life. Yeah. You know, it's like nobody else has had your experience growing up with your family, been in your culture or community, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it is like was what brought you to where now these are, things are what is your truth to life. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that with that description, I was curious to see what do you feel like is your voice, Todd? Yeah. When you approach stories or creative projects or writing and not, not the stuff at work because – yeah. That's obviously whatever the agency wants, and it's yeah. it's as much as That's it's telling. That's more a uh, uh, it's machinery. marketing. Yeah, it's selling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a it's a slogan. Yeah, at its at factory its, work. At its at its root level. Yeah, it's a sales pitch. Yeah, um, and that's not storytelling. Yeah, in the same exactly. Way. Um, even though. A lot of companies want stories. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, we cloak <laughs> we cloak a sales pitch with a story, <laughs> yeah. uh, so. but at the end of the day, the you know it's it's not in the same yeah. creative realm yeah. as as yeah. a pure story. It's like at the end of the day, your goal is not to embedder me; it is to sell me what yeah. you are trying yeah. to sell me. Exactly. Um, We're gonna better you by making money off of selling you something. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, you can afford help a uh, Range help Rover. You. <laughs> That's yeah. why I was just thinking about that. I was like, it's awfully nice of like B and W to like consider me and their marketing because <laughs> there's no way in that demographic that they <laughs> that they push to. I'm a part of that. There's yeah. no way. I just happen to. Thanks be Facebook for thinking I'm rich enough yeah, to buy a B and W. YouTube. I'm watching a a video about TikTok, and you want to sell me a Range Rover. Cool. Uh, <laughs> two different worlds. Um, I always get the videos where they're like trying to be like, you could make $1,000 a day like me. And I'm like. Like that's in his garage. Yeah. Or he he's like on the beach with his phone. And yeah. I'm like, maybe I need to go to the beach with my phone and take a bunch of clips yeah. and sell training videos on you could also go down to the beach for 400 bucks and take love, a bunch of videos yeah, on your phone. Yeah, I love the one and, where it's the guy, he's like, don't click away because in 30 seconds I'm going to tell you how. And I always like <laughs> skip like right before. <laughs> it's like the moment you said don't click away, you lost me. And son. then I keep getting like fast food ads too. Like Jack's. I keep yeah. getting like Jack's ads. Oh, interesting. Do we even have uh, a Jack's? No, we don't even have a Jack's, but yeah. they're just like, but they're exactly five seconds. So they're like, mm -hmm. before you can click through, yeah. it's over. Yeah. But that's just funny because I'm like, so apparently they think I need to make more money, and apparently they think I'm unhealthy. Well, you know what my number one ad is I get all the time without, like, is Michael Bloomberg <laughs> every time. And his are the funniest because they're so clearly, like, he doesn't know. Like, it's just like, 
uh, gun control. I I'm gonna stop guns, and then the one's like immigration. I I help immigrants like me. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like Michael, uh, go away. <laughs> but anyways, uh, finding your voice. Unlike, so yeah, what do you think? Unlike is, Michael Bloomberg, what do you um, think is your voice? Uh, my voice is definitely I think seeking to like understand whether that's like love, pain, grief. Um, yeah, I, I think it's understanding myself, but also bringing like hope and clarity to maybe those subjects as yeah, well. Yeah, so almost like inner self-discovery. Yeah, yeah. Do you I'll, feel like your characters or like the parts that you connect with stories, if you were writing something, yeah. the part that like really like, yeah. yes, this is what I vibe with is yeah, like I mean, that sort of personal. About Time is my favorite movie and that the whole movie is about him like discovering what like true love is. Yeah. Like understanding like at the end of the day, what is it that matters most? And so my writing's always been that. It's always been either in a place of pain, understanding like why do I feel this pain? Why did this happen to me? or love or grief or you know anything in life if you look at my writing it is always everything i've ever written has been to myself mm-hmm. is my internal monologue yeah. is me trying to figure these things out and my best writing is the ones that are the most honest and vulnerable about that my worst writing is me clearly talking to someone else yeah and you could tell there's just not a it feels like every other uh inspirational speaker or yeah. anything like that so yeah just i mean and and that's the thing is a lot of people could be worried it's like well there's only so much you can learn well no there's all life is learning and yeah your voice changes yeah. like we were talking about last week with um george lucas you know it's like i mean or or steven spielberg mm-hmm. it's like they're 40 50 years older than when they first started making movies they're yeah. obviously going to be different yeah they have lived twice the amount of time than when they first started yeah, you know they've lived two more lifetimes basically since Jaws. Yeah, it's gonna be a different yeah. guy. Well, it's really funny because his kids movies now are so out of touch with children, but then he considers like Hook his worst movie ever. And as a kid, that connected with me, unlike anything yeah, Hook else. Was great. You know, and it was like it was like the original Mighty Ducks and all that stuff. These kids are not perfect little children. They're Street rats, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, we all are kind of, kill the lawyer! Like, yeah. we don't know why we kill the lawyer, but we think it's funny because yeah. somewhere in our subconscious, lawyers, know, are, lawyers bad. are bad. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think there is... Well, you look at, like, E.T., too. I mean, he's made a lot of kids' movies. Yeah. And it's like E.T. was all about this kind of, like, strange, alien, scary mm-hmm. moments. Drew Barrymore screaming. Yeah. You know, befriending something that you're afraid of and ending up deciding to, like, defend it against the police. Yeah. You know, who at that time was like the opposite of lawyers. Yeah. Whereas like the police are the good guys yeah. and they're the bad guys chasing you and you're going to do anything to save your friend. And, you know, and then you look at BFG or even like Tintin and it's just like he's now feels more like a grandpa telling stories to his grandkids yes. versus yes. a 20 year old talking about his childhood. Because yeah. um, I think there there was like a fart joke in Hook, right? Was there something with Robin Williams like farts? Uh, I can't remember. I think it's like when he first comes back to Neverland, he's like a lawyer, and like something happens where he maybe uh, like a flower farts in his face or something. It's like, and he's like, ugh. Maybe. I don't know. But it was, you know, and then you have the BFG. All the kids are burping after the fake meal. Yeah, yeah. And it's just fun. Like they're all burping and stuff. But then you have the scene like that in BFG where the queen's farting and everyone's farting. And it's so over the top, so stupid. Like it doesn't feel 
genuine. It definitely just feels like an old guy, like like you said, the grandpa kind of fighting in front of his three year old grandchild and yeah. kid laughing because kids laugh at anything. Right. So yeah, finding your voice, I think, is also understanding where you are in your life and understanding like your voice it's a continual process of like all right what's my voice now like now that i'm married it's not the same as when i wrote unwritten letters to you like my voice is no longer coming from a point of longing yeah because your truth has changed exactly and so yeah i mean i think it's understanding that like our passions our life experiences change and so that needs to reflect in our movies yeah. and in our storytelling yeah. and um you know when we were young we might have been really into war movies and yeah something but now i would probably do a different version of a war movie right. instead of like i like i look at saving private ryan differently now than yeah. when i was younger when i was younger i was like oh battle and all that stuff yeah, right but now I look at like the sacrifice that Tom Hanks character right. makes yeah. and like the, pain the tragedy of it. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you and I, like that was the biggest thing we talked about. Our favorite scene is the shot where they're going really to tell the mother that one, of, yeah. you know, that the sons are dead. Yeah. And that was probably the most least interested scene when we were right. younger. You know, we're like, right. oh, what is the scene? Whatever. Yeah. But now we have a different understanding. We have a different yeah. voice. Yeah. We have a different life experience. Yeah. So I think that's as we grow older, we look back on movies. And like I probably look at Five Hundred Days of Summer much more different now yeah. than I did when I was yeah. younger. So totally, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I think, um, and that and that's why I wanted to distinguish like um, style, yeah, as different than your voice, yeah, because like um, Wes Anderson has also evolved over the years, yes, definitely, as a storyteller. And his taste is going to have changed because he's also no longer a 20-year-old guy. He's gotten older and he's had other life experiences and other things have happened to him to where he now sees life in a different way and connects to aspects of life and philosophical aspects of life and practical aspects of life in a different way. But he still makes movies in his same style. Yeah, His art direction is still very specific. His cinematography is still very specific. Even his like blocking and acting kind of approach is all very similar. But it's that doesn't mean though that he's still making Rushmore, right? You know, I mean, yeah. he's he's moved on. I mean, Bottle Rocket. It's if you watch Bottle Rocket, it's it's very different. Than yeah, just by anything. But like that. you look at it as like something that this like twenties something year old young twenties yeah. guy made. Yeah, totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. You know, you see that a lot. I think in even like comedians too, like where when they're younger, they're just making a bunch of crude jokes and yeah. body part jokes and farting jokes. And then they get older and they start wanting to make more dramatic stuff because I think, again, it's like they have also matured yeah, and their voice has matured and what they connect to has matured to where now there's other things that move them yeah. in deeper ways than a, you know, a laugh about coming out of the butthole of a rhino. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty funny, though. It is funny. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. um, so I think uh, for me – it's something that I've still been trying to kind of process through. So it's not like I have like a perfect answer for it. And I think that's something that, again, like we're talking about, is constantly changing. So yeah. even if you figured it out last week, it might be something new this week. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, it all kind of comes back to acceptance of mm. something. Yeah. Um, a lot of times like acceptance of the character in themselves or um, acceptance of each other um, or acceptance of of life or like it's usually somehow tied to people like um 
learning to stop, uh, not really fighting because that's not really the right term either, but kind of stop um, uh, resisting the truth, Mm -hmm. accepting the truth, and seeing like the beauty in the truth. Yeah. Like I've used, you you haven't watched The Grey, have you? No. Liam Neeson. And so that whole movie was advertised as like, you know, him fighting wolves and all that stuff. The whole movie is the acceptance of death. And it's different people dying throughout the whole movie and each of them accepting it in a different way. Yeah. Maybe one guy doesn't actually accept it, but he dies horribly in one way. There's another guy that's bleeding out and he finally was fighting for so long and then finally it's like, okay, I accept it. You know, yeah. it all leads up to Liam Neeson ultimately accepting his, spoiler alert, like, that's the whole point. It's this beautiful movie, sad, tragic, beautiful yeah. movie about the acceptance of death. So yeah. 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 So I feel like that's definitely, you know, and a lot of times in that acceptance of what is oftentimes seen as the ugly truth, we actually find that it's actually full of hope yeah. and a future because of accepting yeah. that. Frodo going across the seas. And, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and so, I mean, a lot of that kind of is the hero's journey of this, mm-hmm. like, part of the hero that they just haven't realized about themselves or are denying believing about themselves. And they go on this journey, and they're forced to reconcile with the reality of who they are, yeah. or the or who their friends are, who their environment is, or whatever you know, or their circumstances, or whatever lies they're telling themselves. And they have to then deal with the truth and honesty, and through that, then they realize they're actually there's more hope for their life because of it. Yeah. Not like they were denying these things because they were worried it was going to destroy them, and instead, it actually like provide bursts hope for them in a future. Yeah. Um, so I, I love that. I also love the stuff that really hits at like the purest of the pure um, beauty in life, mm. like the the purest of the pure, like beautiful moments, not like aesthetically beautiful. All those, those are great too. But like, you know, the beauty of unconditional love yeah. or, or the beauty of a relationship between a child and their parent or the beauty of, of a friend who's with you your entire life and has your back no matter what, you know, like those kind of elements of life where you're like almost like somewhat the parts um, that uh, almost the parts that like sin can't touch the mm. sinful broken world can't touch yeah, or, or somehow skirt past it. You know, the parts of like kind of Eden that are still left over, yeah. you know, where you're like, this is how it was always supposed to be. Yeah. And this is like one little nugget of that aspect. Um, I love any of those kind of things too, where there's some element of like incorporating yeah. that kind of stuff in it. Yeah, I think you know, I think that's why we always like a good like redemption story. Yeah. Whether it's you know Arthur Morgan in uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, right. like the this classic scene where he has accepted yeah. that he is dying, and but is accepting also the fact that like he now has a chance to make amends yeah. to uh, right the wrongs in his life, and we see those actions played massively through audio playing back as he's doing his last ride you know and uh and so it's just like the the masterful work of of storytelling there yeah but um you know i I think of like a warrior did you ever see warrior you know like the brothers like that beautiful scene where he you know tommy finally uh you know forgives and and kind of relinquishes his anger and his fight and so his brother's like protecting him and pushing yeah. people back and yeah you know it's just a beautiful 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 scene so yeah. yeah yeah and i will say that like even though like this is what we're saying is the things and stories that we feel most connected to i also think that like in any story mm-hmm. if somebody if a screenwriter handed me a script and handed you a script 
doesn't mean that we still couldn't make it even if we didn't yeah conjure it up ourselves but then our voice is still finding the part in that script that we like identify with the most yeah. and are like feel the most motivated and moved by yeah and making sure that that thing that moved us in the script then becomes the thing that still moves us when we watch the movie in the theater yeah. after it's done yeah and and that's the job of the storyteller is to like see it through from that initial mm-hmm. moment of wow yeah this is what i love to then making that a realization for everybody else yeah. and the audience to connect to as well. Do you think that's why maybe like some adaptations, like for example, Ready Player One, obviously we like this the story, the book, but then like when we watched the movie, I you were disappointed too, right? Yeah. 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 So we were both disappointed. And I wonder if it's because like Spielberg's voice through that movie was not what we had envision what we had connected to you know because like that was the thing is we connected kind of it's more than just like the world itself the world was cool and all that stuff and Spielberg does kind of a good job showing that world but I think it was that deeper maybe message if you could say that with Ready Player One but um I don't know. Do you think that's maybe why we don't oftentimes like the adaptation? Yeah, probably. Because, I mean, what we fall in love with is the voice of the mm-hmm. author of the book. Right. And then the director goes and makes it, and they're using the same material. Yeah. Um, but we've already fell in love with the voice of the author. Yeah. And so then when we go watch it from the voice of a director who's going to be completely different. Yeah. Instead um, of having a cool riddle that you have to figure out and playing games that we love, he's going to drive backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, you know, it's uh, – and I think that's where, like, the story of Lord of the Rings where where um, um, Peter Jackson did such a good job, why everybody liked it so much, yeah. the original ones, is because, like – Tolkien's voice and Jackson's voice on those movies and books are very similar. Yeah. I mean, there's some differences. Yeah. And he took, you know, some... Some creative liberties. But, yeah, yeah, which is totally expected. But it's like the idea of the... I, you know, I think when reading the books, it was the fact that, like, it was throughout the books, you felt like there was no hope for Frodo mm. to actually destroy this ring. Yeah. And death was coming for everyone. And there was no point in fighting because you're just going to die anyways. Yeah. And Frodo chose to do it anyways. And yeah. so did everybody else. And so it was that kind of element that you're like, yeah, you connected with this thing of like, against all odds, at the very least, we're going to go down fighting. Yeah. You know, we're at least going to get halfway to Mordor if we don't get all the way. Yeah. And at least we'll die knowing that we got halfway. Yeah. And we can at least die like, you know, not as the timid souls still back in the Shire. Yeah. But as the warriors who are willing to give it all to 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 fight evil. Yeah. And then in the movies, yeah. They do that too. Yeah. You know, and so it's like he they both connected to those same moments that I think a lot of us Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah, I mean Tolkien it's famously his story of the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings was the fact that the smallest can do the most. Yeah. Like that was that message. And I think a lot of Hollywood people would have had like Aragorn take it or, you know, it's like, no, he needs to be the one that's more dramatic and stuff like that. Right. And so these two Hobbits or him, literally or him into- helping him clearing the way for Frodo in more ways than he really did. Yeah. And that's know? where we go to the Hobbit and you have literally Legolas coming back and right. like, you know, it's like all these other things and it's like, what is going on there? Yeah. <laughs> the voice is definitely like disappeared in that whole nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think, you know, and I think that's why like Harry Potter having J.R. Um, uh, not J.R. Tolkien. Uh, uh, J.J. Or- uh, 
<laughs> What's her name? Why are we both blanking? J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. Uh, I think having her like super involved yeah, with the movie definitely uh, series is like what allowed like those movies to be what they were because she was still able to say no, 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 no. I want it this way. Yeah. You know, like if she has the creative freedom to say this isn't the way it's supposed to be, yeah. and and. You know, like as much as I love the Harry Potter series and stuff like that, they're not as good as Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings had a single voice throughout the whole yeah. process. You know, Peter Jackson did one movie, and um, the last guy who took on like the last four movies and he's done the Fantastic Beasts and stuff, I don't think he is like he's. He, I think he did as best he could, but it's really hard when you have so many different. I mean, you've watched. The first couple movies, like the first four movies, all have drastically different like yeah. styles, voices, like yeah. the characters feel a little different. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, uh, they kind of is a little bumpy where Lord of the Ring is very consistent all the way through. Here's a question for you. That being said, with the voices, I was thinking about this. Do you think Star Wars will ever have a chance of being good because with Lord of the Rings, you have like Tolkien's voice, you know, yeah. you can kind of – or uh, uh, George R. R. Martin with Game yeah. of Thrones and stuff. Yeah. I mean, really, the season that people didn't like is when they went outside his voice and right. kind of went, you yeah. know, did their own thing. So, um, do you think Star Wars ever has a chance of being good if the actual author voice was Lucas? Was Lucas and ended up kind of being bad? Yeah, you know. Um, the uh, I think that it does if, and this is where I've said it before. I think Kathleen Kennedy's got to go. <laughs> I mean, she's yeah. fine as she's a producer. Stifling. She's yeah. fine as a producer, but like, I think again, that's where on uh, Marvel, um, yeah. you know, they ha- they got Kevin Feige, who is the voice yeah. that's pulling all the movies together. He's and the, he's he, an like a nerd. He's a fan. yeah, and he's yeah. a yeah, he's a huge yeah. hardcore Marvel fan. So it's like he and he connect what he connects with personally with the stories is what a lot of the audience connects with. Yeah. And so, because we also like what he likes for the most part, Yeah, you know, there's going to be, once again, he's going to do it distinctly different than I would, than you would, but it's still like close enough. It's in the ballpark Yeah, that we can all then, yeah, we like these. These are great. Where I just don't think Kathleen Kennedy has, I don't think she has the proper voice for connecting with, like yeah. for telling the Star Wars stories. Yeah. And I don't even know if she's really, I don't really know. I mean, I don't know the, the behind the scenes, but it just doesn't seem like she's even really trying. I feel like she's like Tim Cook with Apple. Yeah. You know, where it's yeah. like she can make the money and she knows yeah, she can the keep business the, side. She can keep the trains on schedule. Exactly. And make sure things are happening yeah. and that even like politically everything's good. And yeah. hey, we're going to have some African-American characters mm-hmm. and an Asian, and, you yeah. know, we're going to have more women in the executive. Our first gay character, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do all these things yeah. that, like, are, like, pro- proper from a producer in this yeah. world, where you know, in current times. But it's like, is she really a storyteller? I mean, I'm sure she can tell stories, just like I mean, everybody has the ability to tell a story. Yeah. But, like, is she really connecting with the stories of yeah. Star Wars in the same way that some of these other people are? And then it's like, well, then if it if she isn't but still has the ability to tell people to change the movies yeah she is yeah but not doing it but not she's like telling people no but not giving them a direction of where yeah hey don't go that way where do you want me to go i don't know yeah yeah Uh, it's it's the marketing tool of of advertising yeah, yeah yeah and then the directors like i think the three movies would have been better if jj had done all of them yeah at least that would have been some consistency yeah but again it's like really Somebody needs to just be 
the person who's in charge yeah. of the overall story. Yeah, I mean, C- Kathleen Kennedy is a great example because, like, she, the solo movie, I guarantee you, if they had left the original directors, it would have been a vastly better movie. Yeah. You know, it may not have been, like, canonically, like, now granted, Kathleen was on board, but then it was Cast. Lawrence, Lawrence Kasdan or whatever, yeah. and he was like, it's not my, blah, blah, blah. And so you see these people who are like protective, but like not in a good way. You know, like I think yeah. in order for something to thrive, you do need to take risks. Like Kevin Feige well, is a good example. Yeah. Well, and again, it's like the problem with that is like, okay, so Lawrence Kasdan wants to do it his way. The the two directors want to do it their way. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure Phil, Philip and Lord Miller. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure some of the actors had some, you know, everybody has some input. But there was no Felix <laughs> in charge yeah. pulling from Narcos, which yeah. if you guys haven't watched season two of Monarcos, it's great. But yeah. um but you need but you need that that one person who says, No, Lawrence, that doesn't fit my vision, so yeah. we're not gonna do that. That doesn't fit my voice, that doesn't fit what I want to tell with this story. Yeah. So you need to change these lines in the script. And, you know, the directors, Philip and Lord, you know, like you guys need to do it this way because this is how I want it. You know, it's like somebody needs to be in charge. Yeah. I'm sure Kevin Feige can say, no, we're not yeah. doing it that way. Yeah. You know, which goes back to what we were talking about last week after we got done recording with Pixar even is like now that um, yeah. Ed Catmull and um, uh, – John Lasseter. John Lasseter. Yeah. Are not, I'm, I'm slow today. <laughs> I say, well, I'm always slow. People, I should write down all the names I'm going to mention on podcasts so I can reference them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, I think the same thing with those guys not being there anymore. It's like, is there still somebody there to be basically a big enough – there's a different use of voice, but almost like big enough ego, a big enough voice, a big enough like I'm going to put my foot down yeah. to say – you know, somebody who has the – Enough confidence to tell other people, no, yeah, we're doing it this way. And experience, like that's the thing is, I think Kevin Feige has gotten to where he is because he made the first Hulk, and yeah. he made, you know, he's made really garbage superhero movies. Like he's helped produce them, and so now he has. I'm sure, like now he probably says no a lot more, but he knows when to say it. He knows yeah. when to give them liberties and when not to. And yeah, um, and so yeah, I think that's the job of producers. Yeah. Is, is they are the te- taste. Going back to our metaphor of food, they're the taste tester. You know, yeah. they should be like, no, like you need more salt in this, or you need, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, you look at like people always compare DC with Marvel, um, and for good reason. But I think when it's like there's like some element to the Marvel movies that just makes them, yeah, these are enjoyable to watch even when they're not the best movie uh, craft wise or, you know, story structure wise. According to. uh, Yeah. Or not real films, (laughs) Uh, but uh, real cinema. (laughs) Uh, But when you look at them, uh, the difference is that Kevin Feige's voice is throughout all those movies and the Warner brothers or the um, DC movies, don't have a singular voice. Nope. Um, and so because of that, they feel like they're empty and lacking something. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and that's what it is. It's Kevin Feige's, what he loves about these stories, making sure that they come through. Yeah. You know, and you see the, that right delicate amount of like heart and humor that is in, and like the right amount of even like somewhat campiness, but also seriousness. Mm-hmm. That's all kind of consistent throughout all the movies, especially the last 10. Yeah. 
And I think that's all because that's Kevin Feige's connection with those stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's a really good example. And there's also people who are good directors and but not good producers and stuff like that. Like I would say Nolan probably should not be a producer because it was Nolan's idea to have Zack Snyder take over the universe. Yeah. You know, DC Universe, and he's like, no, Snyder's my guy. I trust him. And so, uh, I mean, people are going to be really good in their skills. And if you have a voice, I say follow that voice. And if you feel... Well, and there's still a difference between, like, craft and voice. Yeah, yeah. You know, just like there's a difference between taste and voice yeah. or voice and style. You know, it's like you, you still have to know how to craft the yeah. movie, yeah. you know? so Or, it's like, or find people who can compliment. Yeah, or, or yeah. yeah. And, but that is part of the craft yeah. is hiring good people. Yeah. You know, they always say, like, you know, hiring the right, uh, you know, auditioning and hiring actors is 80% of a director's job. Yeah. You know, it's like part of picking your crew and managing them well is a big part of your actual job. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that's another element to it to where like um if you're not at a place where where the part that you really love and connect to in the story, the end product really doesn't show that or um display that and you can clearly see it and other people that watch it or look at your thing that you made like painting or listen to your music or whatever aren't getting it getting that Mm-hmm. from what you made then it means that you need to keep working at your skills yeah and I, and i'm one of those people yeah. so i mean it's not i'm not bashing anybody who's there at that place in their career or their craft but you know i think i think that's another aspect that people have to remember is that like the voice part is always true as long as you're true to yourself yeah whether or not you can pull it off and do it well comes down to whether or not you're a good painter or a yeah. good musician <laughs> or a good filmmaker or yeah. a good producer or a good yeah. cinematographer and that's a whole another thing that's more about technical skills and yeah. management skills and communication skills and and everything. Yeah, you know. Yeah, my my spelling grammar is not really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so and, you either need to hire a really good yeah, editor, yeah, who will fix it for you, yeah, or learn how to do it better, you know. And so it's like, but that's all about craft. As far as you connecting with this, with a, as far as your your desire to connect with stories in in the way of introspective and discovering and looking inside yourself that part is there yeah whether or not your grammar is good or not yeah yeah you know yeah it's absolutely true so well uh for all of you listening we hope you enjoyed this and we hope that you can find your voice um and maybe help clear up this thing that people say all the time that's a little confusing because they make it sound like a bigger deal than it really is when at the end of the day it's really just about being true to yourself and what yeah. what you love about what you're making and making sure that that happens. Yeah, sounds good. And sometimes you don't have a voice and that's okay. Like you learn learn to craft it, learn to find it, yeah. learn to work yeah, through exactly. it. Like you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be Scorsese at the beginning. You know, all these people had something bad and they worked through it. And Yeah, well, well, but I think, again, like I think that goes back to craft. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think you will – I think yeah. I think anybody has a voice. Yeah. It's just, it's just more recognizing – it's more being willing to look yourself in the mirror and say, what do yeah. I love about this? Yeah. And making sure that you don't ever move away from that because you want to make something that other people like yeah. or that your boss likes or that your girlfriend likes or yeah, exactly. or that you think you should like. Yeah. You know, like – 
that would be another element. Yeah, like, that's a really good. You example. know, like fighting your own inner yeah. demons of self confidence and self worth and criticism, yeah. self criticism, and being like true to like, man, this is what I love about that story, and I want to make sure people know it. Or this is what I love about this song, and I want to make sure people hear it. You know, because we're all gonna walk away with whatever you told us to pay attention to. Yeah. In whatever you make yeah and you want to make sure that the thing that you're pointing out to us and what you made is the thing that you personally love the most yep yep all right well to everyone out there we hope you find your voice just like ariel bye <laughs>